0: the reading this morning is taken from the 11th chapter of the book of Romans and you will find it on page 1138 starting to read at verse 11 and before i start the fifth word in that verse they refers to the previous paragraph they they Is Israel. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world what will their acceptance be but life from the dead if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy then the whole batch is holy if the root is holy so are the branches if some of the branches have been broken off and you Though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. You will say then, Branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and, contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree?
1: Thanks, David, very much. Do keep your Bibles open. Uh, oh, I've left my clicker. I'm doing it now. Thank you. And let's pray as we ask for God's help to uh, understand what this passage means for each one of us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that you promise to speak to us through your word. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, please open our ears, open our hearts and help us to obey you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, I wonder what you know about your family tree or about your family history. Um, It's quite popular at the moment to discover more about your your past and uh, what your ancestors got up to, stuff like that. But I guess there's always going to be a certain amount of risk involved. Um, you might find out some great things. Uh, someone who's had an amazing life from a previous generation, who's won medals. Uh, I recently found out about my great-grandfather who died during the First World War. He was the only one on, on a battleship to die after it was torpedoed. And he never met his son, my grandfather, who went on to be a doctor at D-Day during the landings. Um, amazing stuff. But you might discover the opposite as well. Uh, that people in the family perhaps have done shameful things. Uh, apparently one of my ancestors was excommunicated for singing naughty songs in church. <laughs> Which I would just like to publicly say I've never been party to. <laughs> we all have family trees, don't we? Whether we're born into them or whether we're adopted into them. But the Bible tells us about a different type of family tree. It is God's family tree that we read about in this passage. And this isn't based on parenthood. God's family tree is quite different. It's not something that you are naturally born into, like a normal family. But it is based on knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this isn't something that just we are part of today, but actually it stretches back through history, at least as far as all the way back to God's promises to one man, Abraham. You see, God promised Abraham a family tree. And we read this in Genesis chapter 12. There we go, there's Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. God says, I will make you into a great nation and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, God's promise said that God had a plan to bring his love to the world through Abraham's family tree. Because it's through that that Jesus would come. Now, as we've said already, we are here from three different church families, church congregations. But the Bible says that there is only one family. And I want all of us to, to see that this morning, not just intellectually, but to, to grasp that. Maybe for the first time, what the Bible has to say about being part of God's family. And we're going to ask these three questions. We're going to think How we can trust God for it. What the only way for us to be a part of it is. The only way for us to be a part of it. And thirdly, what we need to do because of it. But let's firstly think how we can trust God for it. And we can because the Bible tells us that he is in control of it. He is in control of his family tree. Even when it looks like things are going wrong. Now, Give some context to what Paul is talking about. Paul is addressing an issue of uh, what is God going to do with those many in Abraham's family tree who don't believe in Jesus? What is he going to do? So Paul says this in verse 11. Let me get there. There we go. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. What is going on there? Paul is saying that by not believing in Jesus, many of Paul's people, Israel, the Jews, have chosen to opt out of being in God's family. But does that mean that they are out of God's reach? Does that mean that for any of us, some of us here may have Jewish heritage, most of us probably not, most of us are non-Jews, Gentiles. But does that mean that that they are out of God's reach? Well, Paul says, not at all. Of course not. You see, God is in control of it, even when things look like they are going wrong. Paul is saying God will allow members of Abraham's biological family tree back in when they believe. That is the condition for any of us, whether we are Jew or Gentile. In one sense, it doesn't make a difference. Being members of this family is based on belief. But in the meantime, God is being gracious. He is allowing more time for people to respond to the good news of Jesus. He will bring others in to be part of it. Because that was God's promise to Abraham, wasn't it? That through Abraham's family tree... All nations would be blessed. So it's not like God's plan had failed. Even if, even today, many Jews don't believe that Jesus is God's son, the Messiah. God's plan hasn't failed. Quite the opposite. Because God is in control. He has used even their disbelief to bring us in. God is in control even when it looks like it's going wrong. But Paul is still hopeful that there is a future for many of his people. Because his hope is in God's ability to bring them back. Look at what it says in verse 12. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Paul wants to see his people, the Jews, finally find their proper place in God's family under Jesus. We've seen that time and time again in this part of Romans. Paul's desire for his family, we should have that desire for our people too in this city, in this nation. To find their place in God's family through faith in Jesus. God is in charge even when it looks like it's going wrong. But also God is in charge by showing people on the outside what they're missing out on. Have a look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, I am talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. That was Paul's particular ministry God had given him. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Paul wants to make his people envious of what they are missing out on. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this peculiar uh, position where you have offered something to a child, maybe a, a toy or a snack, piece of food, and perhaps they're not in a good mood. And they say, no, I don't want it. Maybe they turn their back on you. No, don't want it. And then if they've got a sibling or a friend with them, you go, OK, fine, I'll give it to you. You give it to their brother or sister or their friend who gladly receives it, this miraculous thing happens. Where all of a sudden that first child, who wasn't interested in what you're offering them, all of a sudden wants nothing more than to have that thing that you've just given to their brother or sister. It's amazing. It's like magic. don't quite understand how it happens. They don't want to miss out on what the other person has all of a sudden. They see this person enjoying whatever they've got and they want what they've got too. And that's what Paul is trying to do here. He wants his people, the Jews, to see all of the spiritual blessings that believers have in Christ. And to say, I want that. So a Jewish person should be able to to speak with us or, or come into church today. And think, I want what you have got. Think about this today on Pentecost when we remember how God sent his spirit on the early church. When a Jewish person hears how the the Holy Spirit of God, who was there at the beginning, before creation, is now living on the inside of us, inside of the Messiah's followers. They should say, I want that. That's what my religion has been promised. And here it is, and you guys, in Hove, 2019. Paul says God is in control of of all of this. The question is, what are they or or what are we going to do with that offer? He's in control of it. And, of course, he's able to fix it for those who turn back to him. Many of us will know the story of, of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, about the one son who who shamefully rejects his father, but then comes to his senses, sees what he's missing out on and comes home again. We see this in verse 15. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? You see, God is in control. He is not some kind of helpless sales assistant crossing his fingers and and hoping that that the, the customer will make the right decision. He is in control. He will use their disbelief for good. And of course, he will use their belief for good, too. Bringing them back into his family. But it's then in verse 16 that Paul actually picks up on this metaphor of of the tree, of this this family tree, and we're going to spend a bit more time thinking about that. And and this tree, as we've thought about with Abraham, it is built on those like Abraham, people who have believed and trusted God and are made right with God through faith. It tells us that, that God's heart for the Jewish people as with all people, is that they would all turn and believe. That's always been true. But it is to the Jews that these amazing promises were first made. But just like any of us, they need to make sure that they are part of it. Well, then how do they do that? How can they make sure they are part of it? Well, the only way to be part of it is By grace. That is how we are part of it. By grace. By grace, we become part of something we don't deserve. Have a look with me at at verse 17. Paul says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Just pause there. So we as Gentiles are only part of God's family tree because we have been grafted in, it's totally 100% his grace. I brought a tree with me today. It's not a massive tree, but it's a, it's a little tree. I don't know much about trees, but um, this tree has been grafted. So there are basically two parts to it. You've got the, the bottom part, which I understand is the roots. Um, and then this, this sticky thing, this trunk. And then at the top... You've had a different plant grafted on, and um, that bit's called the, uh, the scion, S-C-I-O-N, I think, and it's from another plant, and it's been grafted in. You can come and see it afterwards. See how it's attached, and uh, as a result of that, when it's all fused together, this top bit gets all of its energy, all of its all of its nutrients from the roots from that original plant. This one has been grafted on. To the roots of the other. And that is like a picture of us, how we are there. We we don't belong here necessarily in the roots, but by God's grace we have been grafted onto what God has been doing. That is the amazingness of grace. We don't deserve to be there, none of us. It is purely by God's grace. And that's all the more remarkable, bearing in mind where we have come from. The idea Paul uses here is is a wild olive shoot. Um, In my garden, we've got this great big cherry tree at at the end of the garden. And every so often during the spring and the summer, you'll be mowing the lawn or something, and you'll see these little shoots come out, these little wild shoots that maybe a cherry has fallen off the tree or something, and it started to grow. So you just pick it up and get rid of it because we don't want a garden full of cherry trees without any grass. And it's one of those. It's this, this wild little shoot. that God, by his grace, has grafted it on to the main tree to make it part of something it could never be on its own. And that is us. Which means, actually, we, we owe a, a huge amount of, of gratitude to what God was doing in the past, and, and particularly to what we see in the Old Testament, um, Dave was, was preaching uh, here a couple of weeks ago, and he, he spoke about the importance of the Old Testament for us today as Christians. There was a temptation uh, with some people to think that the Old Testament is irrelevant to Christians. It's, it's only about New Testament. It's only about Jesus. But that's not true, is it? Because we've been grafted in to what God has been doing in the Old Testament. All those promises that are now fulfilled in Christ. And that is that is this life-giving sap to us who believe. We need that. We need that for our goodness. By grace, we're part of it. And as a result, that means that there is no room for pride. Have a look at verse 18. Paul says, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. There really is no room for pride in the Christian life. If we do experience pride like this, we need a reality check. If we think in some way that we deserve God to be kind to us, there's a good chance we haven't understood God's grace in the first place. You see, what Paul is urging the church to do is to humbly receive with open hands what God has given them. His gift of total forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, which is the same for the Jew and for the Gentile. There cannot be any boasting because we both find ourselves in the same situation to begin with. There cannot be pride. And because of God's grace, we need to respond by faith. And that's the reason why anyone is or isn't in God's family. It is a matter of faith, not good works, but faith. Have a look with me. Verse 19, 21 on the screen. You will say then, he's imagining someone's argument for why they might boast. Branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. The question is, do you trust Jesus? Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, actually, it doesn't make a difference in the end. It's whether you can honestly say, I believe Jesus died for me. And I believe he rose again. There are some parts of the Bible that that are complicated, that that take a lot of work to to untangle. But in one sense, the gospel is beautifully simple. Being able to say, I believe he died for me. Because if you can say that and mean it, God, by his grace, has given you faith. And you are part of his family forever. Forever. And if you do understand that this is the only way you can be part of it, you'll realise you can never boast. By all means, come up to me afterwards and tell me what you have done to, to enter into heaven, what you've done to deserve God's kindness to you. As one writer put it, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. We all stand in the same situation before God. We all need His grace. And the only way to be part of God's forever family tree is by faith in the grace that has come to us through the death of his son, Jesus. So then what do we need to do because of that? If that is if that is the true reality, and it is, of how things are, how we need to be made right with God, how do we respond to it? Well, there's something we need to think about and there's something we need to do. The first thing Paul says, we think about how we respond to it, is that we need to dwell on two things. Have a look at verse 22. Paul says, dwell or or consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Paul wants us to dwell on two things this morning firstly that we are to dwell or consider God's kindness we have heard about God's love and mercy through Jesus the immense depths of his kindness to us through Christ that though we were undeserving he died for us That is his awesome kindness to you that Paul wants us to consider, to dwell on, to make the very center of our life. But I wonder how often do we really consider it? Do we dwell on it? Do we meditate on it? Speaking for myself, I do not dwell on it as much as I should. Maybe just a challenge to you then to start maybe when you go to bed this evening, when you close your eyes and you're ready to go to sleep. Let the one thing that occupies your thoughts as you drift off. Is the thoughts of God's kindness to you through Jesus. Dwell on his kindness and maybe do that for the whole week. And then keep on doing it. Make it part of your life to dwell on his kindness to you through Christ. But Paul also wants to balance that out. He says, dwell on God's kindness, but he also says, consider God's sternness too. Now, that's probably something we don't want to do. Oh, Yeah, I like the idea of dwelling on God's kindness. Not quite so sure I want to consider his sternness. But actually, if we want to get a proper picture of what God is like, we need both of those things. That is, if God cut off those who no longer believed... Let us not get complacent about believing, thinking it's a small thing. Because we must realize where refusal to believe will eventually lead us. And it is not a good place. It is separation from him. And that should be the scariest thought for anyone. That if I keep on rejecting and disbelieving in God, one day it will be too late to change. Paul says, now is the time to change. Look at verse 23 as we finish up. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Paul kind of returns full circle to to what he was saying at the beginning of this passage. But with this encouragement to, to think about that now is the time to change. And I just want to encourage you, if if that is particularly relevant to you today, that actually it's, it's kind of always been a little bit not sure whether you're in or whether you're out, not sure if you're really believing or not. Perhaps you've grown up in a, in a Christian household and have always come to church. Maybe you turned away as a teenager or later on in life. Or maybe you're sitting here and it's all completely new. I just want to tell you that today is not too late for you to come into this family tree. It really is that simple. You can do that today. To join the only family tree that matters. No matter what your family has been like growing up. Whether it's been great or terrible or somewhere in the middle. To be part of something now that will not be forgotten about. But that will endure forever. I just want to read a line from the song that we just sung uh, before uh, our Bible reading. And maybe we can make this uh, a prayer for us. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed, O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Amen.